My name is Phil Stinson, and I'm a professor of criminal justice at Bowling Green State University. In this episode of the Police Integrity Loss Podcast, we listen to an interview of me by Damon Carrick that originally aired on Australian Broadcasting Corporation's ABC Radio National Show, The Law Report, on May 7th, 2019. Last week, Minneapolis police officer Mohamed Noor, who is Somali-American, was found guilty of the third-degree murder and second-degree manslaughter of white Australian woman Justine Damon Ruschek. In July 2007, Damon Ruschek was shot dead by Noor after she called police to report a possible rape in her neighbourhood. Over the weekend, Australian time, it was announced that the city of Minneapolis had reached a $20 million civil damages settlement with the family of Damon Ruschek. Professor Philip Stinson, based at Bowling Green State University in Ohio, is an expert in police crime. He keeps a very well-respected database of police shootings across the USA, and he's also himself a former police officer. Philip Stinson, how common is it for police to stand trial for murder or manslaughter? And how common is it for them to then be found guilty? Well, the best estimate that I can give you is that between 900 and 1,000 times each year, on-duty police officers across the United States shoot and kill someone. It's two or three times every single day on average across the country. Now, I've been studying police crime since 2005, and we've got about 15,500 cases in my database. We add about 11 to 1,200 new cases each year of all types of crimes. And I can tell you that since the beginning of 2005 to date, there have only been 102 police officers across the country charged with murder or manslaughter resulting from an on-duty shooting. So 102 in about 15 years. And of those to date, only 36 of those officers have been convicted. And only four of those actually were murder convictions. Most of the time in these rare cases where officers are convicted, having been charged with murder or manslaughter resulting from a non-duty shooting, it's typically a manslaughter conviction. It could be voluntary manslaughter, involuntary manslaughter. Sometimes we see reckless homicide convictions, negligent homicide. Sometimes the officers are convicted of federal criminal deprivation of civil rights charges. But these are outliers. These are unusual cases. And it's unusual even among these outliers that we'd have an officer who's convicted. What do you think there was in this shooting, this killing, that placed it in a category which meant that a murder trial and a murder, a guilty verdict was possible? Well, the facts simply didn't make any sense. I, I've never heard of a situation uh, here we have two officers riding together in the same police vehicle. Never heard of a situation where an officer unholsters their gun while they're sitting in their car just driving down an alleyway. It just seemed bizarre. And then secondly, where Noor shot across the other officer, the other officer was driving, he very well could have shot his partner sitting in the, the police car next to him. It made absolutely no sense at all. It seemed that the officers, especially Noor, was spooked. The facts just don't make any sense. And I think that's what called the prosecutor's attention to it. And then the second thing was that, uh, quite frankly, I don't think the Minneapolis Police Department was very cooperative with the prosecutor's office, and that caused them to take even a closer look at this case. So it just didn't make a whole lot of sense. And that's what you have here. You have to have a situation that just cannot be rationally explained, unfortunately, for an officer to face criminal charges. So Mohamed Noor, he's a Somali-American, and African-American, and Justine Damon Ruzchek is a white Australian. How important 
was race in this case? Well, it would be disingenuous to say that the criminal justice system in the United States is colorblind and that race played no role in this. That, that just is not true. Any case in the criminal justice system in the United States, race always plays a role here. But if we go back to my numbers, 102 officers charged since 2005, only 36 have been convicted to date. Uh, you know, we do know the race of those officers and the, the race of the victims in those cases. And, and we've got several cases, five of those 36 convictions involved officers who were black officers, African Americans, and two of their victims were black and three were non-black. So we don't have enough data to really make sense of it to see if, you know, as a matter of uh, uh, inferential statistics, I can't tell you anything with any degree of statistical certainty. But can you tell me, though, the numbers in terms of white police officers shooting African-Americans? Well, I can tell you in terms of the white officers, we have 31 who were convicted. And in those cases, 20 of their victims were black and 11 were non-black, so so typically white. And then of the officers who were not convicted, the non-black officers, 36 of them were not convicted and 21 of their victims were black and 15 were non-black. You know, we can get really far into the weeds here, but with mm. the black officers, I already mentioned the five who were convicted. There were also seven black officers who were not convicted and all of the victims in those cases were african-american or black victims so again we're dealing with outliers we're dealing with such a small sample here i don't know that we can really make much sense of it just by looking at the numbers but absolutely race plays a role here there have been a number of very high profile uh, shootings uh, many of them involving uh, white police officers or hispanic police officers uh, shooting uh, african-americans how has the, the black lives matter movement responded to the guilty verdict in the Mohammed Noor trial? Well, it's interesting. I've been watching, you know, on my Twitter feed and and uh, the last few days and just looking at exactly that question. And I think the answer to it is, is they recognize that we've got an African-American officer and a white female victim. So they're very aware of the fact that this is what it takes to get a conviction. That seems to be somewhat troubling. Community activist uh, John Thompson, he's based in Minnesota, said, Nor was probably guilty, but so were many white officers who had gone unpunished. There are two different justice systems here in Minnesota, one for white officers and one for black officers. If you're a black officer, you'd better hand in your gun because you don't stand a chance. I mean, this speaks to the incredibly deep complexities around issues of policing and around race. Yeah, you know, originally in my research, I did not keep track of the officer race and ethnicity. And I started doing that at, at the uh, insistence, actually, of one of my student research assistants about eight years ago. And then more recently, we started to go back and code all of our cases for the victim race and ethnicity. And I can tell you that from some of the preliminary uh, statistical analyses I've done on officers who are charged with crimes, and this is not just shootings, but any type of crime, that the black officers who are charged with crime seem to be dealt with more harshly by the courts than the white officers. They seem to get lengthier sentences when they're convicted. And we really don't have enough data to to uh, delve too far into that yet, but the initial findings are um, I guess expected, unfortunately, but nevertheless very troubling to me. It speaks to all sorts of issues around police prosecutions, around the way juries respond. Really, really deep and complex issues here. 
Yeah, and it speaks to many layers of racism in uh, American culture and American life and, and within the police subculture even. Mm. There were very moving images of Valerie Castile. She, she's an African-American woman whose son, Philando Castile, was shot seven times as he sat in his car after being pulled over by a Hispanic police officer. There were very moving images of, of Valerie Castile supporting the family of oh. Justine Damon Ruszczyk last week. Valerie Castile and her son, Philando Castile, they're also in Minnesota, and, and that fatality took place there as well, didn't it? Yeah, and that case was interesting because it was live-streamed on Facebook by Philander Castile's girlfriend and his mother. I've watched her over the last few years, and she is a very kind and considerate woman who has some very powerful words that she shared with other people and really trying to move forward, not only for herself and her family, but trying to help the community at large. Over the weekend, it was announced that the city of Minneapolis will pay a record $20 million in civil damages to the family of Justine Damon Ruzczyk. Is that a large amount when it comes to these sorts of settlements? I think it is a large amount. However, it's really difficult to get a handle on that. It's very hard to determine the uh, dollar amount of settlements and judgments in civil cases against police departments. You know, as part of my work in studying police crime, a number of years ago, we took every one of the names in our database of the officers who had been arrested for any crime. And at that point, it was about a third of the number that we have now. It was, I think it was 5,545 names. And we ran them through a federal courts database in the United States to see how many of those officers had been sued in federal court for violating somebody's civil rights at some point during the officer's career. So a lot of these instances had nothing to do with what they were arrested for. And what we found was that 22% of the officers who had been arrested at some point during their career had been sued in federal court for violating somebody's federally protected rights. What we had greater difficulty determining was the dollar amount of settlements because in many instances, those are confidential documents. Uh, it varies from state to state. We've learned a lot in the last few years with some data from Baltimore and Chicago as to how large these verdicts uh, or settlements are getting in some of these wrongful death cases against uh, municipalities. But that's a large judgment, but I don't think it'll make any difference in terms of any sort of deterrent value because it comes from the city and perhaps their insurance carrier if they have them. And it's not a judgment against an individual officer. You know, police officers are typically judgment proof. They don't have deep pockets. So attorneys are seeking money from the government. So I don't think it has any deterrent effect at all, unfortunately. Coming back to Valerie Castile, I, I believe the person who shot her son, a Hispanic police officer, he was acquitted at trial of murder right. and manslaughter. But um, she received a $3 million settlement for the civil damages litigation that she commenced or her family commenced. Again, a, a pretty stark contrast, $3 million versus $20 million for the, the, the family of uh, Justine Damon Ruzczyk. Well, we get right back to the whole issue of race and uh, you know, it, it's it's complicated, as you know, as to uh, how uh, numbers are obtained in terms of uh, lost wages and, and things like that over a lifetime. But you can't hide from the race issues. Professor Philip Stinson from Bowling Green State University, speaking there via Skype from Ohio. That concludes this episode of the Police Integrity Loss Podcast. It was recorded on May 5th, 2019 and originally aired on the ABC Radio National show, The Law Report, in Australia on May 7th, 2019.
My thanks to Damon Carrick with ABC Radio National in Melbourne, Australia. Support for the Police Integrity Loss Podcast was provided by the Wallace Action Fund of Tides Foundation on the recommendation of Mr. Randall Wallace. My name is Phil Stinson, and I'm a professor of criminal justice at Bowling Green State University in Bowling Green, Ohio. For more information on my research, please go to www.bgsu.edu slash police integrity lost.